Hey guys, good morning. How are you doing? Are you good? Are you fired up? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to get encouraged, anybody? Come on, it's gonna be a great Sunday. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, we're in part two of our marriage series today, everybody. And just to kind of frame the time, I think Chris Rock said it really well regarding our, yes, I'm about to quote Chris Rock from the platform here at New Song. But I think he said it really well regarding the modern view of marriage, that you've really got two choices in life. You can be single and bored or married, or sorry, single and lonely or married and bored. Totally butchered it. But that tends to be our sort of modern vision of marriage. And of course, that's why we wanted to do this entire thing, is to actually connect you to the marriage that you long for, to fortify your family, your marriage, and get you flourishing. Because God has a vision for your marriage, for for your family, that it's full of joy, full of life, full of blessing, and not discord, where you're actually living, loving, and doing life together with your spouse. And so that's what we're taking time to talk about. And I, you know, I came across some fascinating research that I wanted to share with you. It's from the Gottman Institute. It says this, the determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is by 70% the quality of the couples, help me now, friendship. For men, the determining factor is by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship, which is this really big idea, meaning if you want a flourishing marriage, it looks like you developing a best friend type relationship with your spouse. And so this is what we're gonna take time to talk about today. Uh, and in fact, if you are here and you've been divorced or your marriage is actually sliding in that direction, what's happened or has is happening right now is you have actually lost your friendship. You have begun to did detached from that friendship type relationship. I'll give you some scriptural backering here. And what's fascinating about this is the Proverbs, and Tim Keller points this out in Proverbs 2. The writer actually talks about the spouse and uses this really deep word, a loop, in the Hebrew, and it means a best friend, closest confidant, that this is God's vision of marriage, that you would actually find a best friend. And of course, in a day and an age, when women were brought into marriage, it's kind of like an exchange or for property or for whatever, that was an incredible exaltation of women in that day and age to say, listen, dudes, you're not looking for just a piece of property or something to own. You're actually entering into this covenant to find a best friend. And of course, today, it looks different, but it's the exact same thing. Today, men are just, we end up getting in relationships for, we look at women for sex and for personal fulfillment or whatever, marriage for personal fulfillment, whatever it is that got you married. And the reality is the Bible is gonna totally deconstruct all of that and say, listen, you're selling out marriage is about finding a best friend who's gonna stick with you through the ups and the downs of life. Song of Solomon says this in, in chapter five, verse 16. An incredible summary statement of what marriage is all about. It says this, this is my beloved and this is my friend. And so the question is, can you say that about the person that you're married to right now? Are you looking at them and saying, this is my beloved, this is my lover, and this is my friend? Uh, Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, one more, says this, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's this idea that your spouse is an incredible gift from Jesus. Welcome to church. Some of you need to hear that. Your spouse is a gift from God in your life, right? And I know this stuff might be kind of rough right now, but this is why God actually brought this person. So are you finding joy? Are you finding that rejoicing in the context of your marriage, of your relationship? Can you say, you know, this is my lover. This is my friend. This is my closest confidant. This is the person that 
I lean on and that I'm stoked to do life with. And so this is important because people will say this, you know, and we have this happening all across our church right now. People will say this, I don't love my spouse. I don't have love for my spouse. We're just a disaster. I can't really stand them. But the problem is you're not, did you know, you, you don't really fall out of love is the point. What happens is you actually fall out of friendship is what we're really actually saying. And so this is what I want to speak into today and, and try to hopefully frame something helpful that we can hang our hats on to begin to move in the direction of this idea of friendship. So let me start with a question here for all you married people. Uh, let, let's start here. How would you rate your friendship with your spouse on a scale from one to 10? 10 being, this is it, dude. This is like best friend status. Like, you know, we're retweeting every, every, each other's stuff and it's like we get each other and there's lots of face to face. Like I leave work and I'm stoked to get home to this person. I'm just so excited to see them. They're my best friend. I love doing life with them. And a one is you're just a disaster and you're like trying to walk out on the whole thing right now. Where are you in regard to that spectrum? Just answer that. Don't tell your spouse right now, okay? Just don't do, don't do that. I'm not trying to get you fighting yet, okay? But you know, like, like where are you in that spectrum? And I think we gotta be honest to say, none of us are probably at the level of 10, so we all have room to grow here. So I actually, for all of you avid note takers, you type A people, I have a seven point acronym outline for you today here. So this is evidence that Jesus is really risen from the dead. Point number one, how are we gonna move towards uh, developing a friendship-oriented relationship with our spouse? F, point one, forgive fast and fight fair. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the context of this verse, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is bleeding, he is suffering, he is dying. He had been betrayed and mocked and flogged and he just had a Roman soldier crush Roman nine-inch spikes through his wrists and through his feet. He has been lifted up above the earth and these are the first words scholars tell us what are out of the mouth, come out of the mouth of Jesus on the cross. Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. What's the point? And his most excruciating, painful, emotionally painful, spiritually painful moment in his entire life, Jesus doesn't move to judgment, to bitterness, to resentment, or to offense. He moves to forgiveness. And this is critical for us as married people. Listen, forgiveness is in the heart of Jesus for you, and so there should be forgiveness in our hearts towards our spouse. If forgiveness Forgiveness is in the heart of Jesus. We should be able to find that in our hearts for other people. If it's not there, if bitterness and offense is there, then by all means, we can justify stepping into unforgiveness and offense. But if Jesus is going to suffer, bleed, and die, and over your worst, most rebellious, bad day that you've ever had, speak those words over you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right there is grace to actually not need to crucify your spouse. Because why? Because Jesus was actually crucified for them, right? So we gotta forgive fast. That's the, that's the key idea right there. And here's the reality. Some marriages in this room, you have decades of undealt with bitterness and unforgiveness and offense. And, that's, and what happens is when we allow that to take up residence in our marriages and our homes, you, you literally kill the opportunity for friendship. You cannot be friends with somebody that you hold bitterness towards, amen? 
right? You just, you can't, you can't do it. And so it's like this. Here's a picture for you. It's like your spouse says something or does something dumb or don't do what they say that they're gonna do or do something, they just blow up on you. They do something hurtful, which they do do because, you know, newsflash, they're broken, they're fallen, they're sinful, they're flawed, just like you are, welcome to church. And so, you know, like they, they do something. And so it's like we begin to pile up the trash and we never actually take it out. And so it just takes up space in your living room where there's meant to be laughter and joy and friendship and games and good conversation, right, in great times, and we just allow this trash to build up to where we can't actually even see each other, and you become enemies. And so what we need to do today, guys, many of us, here's what we need to do. You got to take the trash out. You got to choose to actually release this person from a friend. And so the question is why? How can you actually do that? It's right there. Jesus, he's speaking over you in your worst moment on your worst day. Father, forgive them. And if he's going to forgive you on your worst day, what's, and you're going to take that, what's it called if you don't forgive your spouse for how they've hurt and harmed you? Hypocrisy right? That's the reality. And so what happens is when we can receive the mercy of God, the forgiveness, and some of you are so religious in spirit that you don't actually live connected to a friendship relationship with Jesus, which we'll talk about. You don't know how to receive the forgiveness of God. You think this is a contractual relationship that you have with the God of the universe instead of, dude, here's how this works. When you turn to Jesus in repentance, you know what you're met with? Fast forgiveness. Can I tell you, Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. Whoa, welcome to church. That's, a, that's really good news. He doesn't hold a grudge. Forgiveness, how you get it with God is not religious penance. It's not doing all of these different things. It's literally you just turn God's direction with simple humility and brokenness and boom, you're met with forgiveness and the mercy of God. And so would it be said of us as spouses that because here's the thing, many of you, you you've got this bitterness, resentment and unforgiveness your spouse did something to hurt you, and that's legit, and they've repented, and you haven't actually forgiven them. And so that's what we need to recognize. We need to step into God's forgiveness for us, and then we can begin to hand that out to other people. So we wanna forgive fast, and not only forgive fast, but we gotta learn to fight fair. Now, here's the big idea with fighting fair. A lot of people tend to have this view that all conflict is bad, right? And so we're just passive aggressive. You know, maybe, maybe there's been a lot of dysfunction in the marriage or the relationship, and so we tend to just push it off into the corner. We don't deal with stuff because conflict is bad, and that means that stuff is going wrong and we don't have the energy or the ability or the tools to actually deal with this stuff. And so we just sort of exist as passing ships in the night, you know, like, like no real closeness and intimacy. We kill friendship and we just seem to be content with that. But here's the thing. Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott will say this. Yeah, if they're married, Les and Leslie, go figure. Like that's miserable. I don't know. Anyways. So, you know, like it's like me marrying a tailor, you know, like what do you do, what do, you do with that? Anyways. So, okay. They say this, I think it's really helpful, um, which is, a, a, you know, it can be a bisexual name. It's a bummer. I just, I, it's, it hurt me my entire life. But okay, so you've got them. They say conflict is often the price that you pay for deeper levels of intimacy. And that's what we gotta realize. Like whenever there's conflict brought into your relationship or your marriage, you gotta look at it as an, an opportunity, not as necessarily a threat. Yes, it can become something really bad if we allow it to get out of control, but it's an opportunity for deeper levels of intimacy if we can learn to actually fight fair and deal with it. And some of, the, some of you, let me just tell you this, you need to have a good fight. Like you have not, you've allowed stuff to just accumulate, you're not talking about it and you're not dealing with it and that's why stuff is so miserable. So 
three quick points on how to fight fair. I'm telling you guys, I'm practical today, baby. I am practical today. We are sending you home with some tools. I'm getting my whole quota in this sermon so we can just be as ADD as, as I am in the rest of them. So this, this is it. How to fight fair. Number one, you gotta get to I'm sorry quickly. What's the point? We wanna look for where we can own the dysfunction instead of casting blame. This is a really big idea because what is easy to do when stuff gets heated, and in fact, uh, uh, Mark Warren, he talks about this. I love it. It's hilarious. He talks about you know getting into lizard brain. Like it's basically something happens. There's conflict that, that's brought in, we go into this primitive state of mind where it's like, I just have to win, 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 crush the other person at any cost, and I'm just going to do anything to get there. But we can't do that. We have to learn to actually get to I'm sorry quick, quickly. And so how do we do that? We look at the situation and ask the question, where did I contribute to the dysfunction? I'm not going to be hold a mirror up to my spouse and help them see where they were dysfunctional and where they added to our pain and our brokenness. I'm actually going to see where I have been dysfunctional and I'm gonna own that and I'm gonna get to I'm sorry quickly. Second, how are we gonna fight fair? Avoid I'm sorry, but. Ladies, give me an amen, please. Right? Your man does this. It's just a reality. It's a great move. It's a power move, but it doesn't really work because what are you saying? You're like, I'm sorry, but you're the real disaster. You're the real problem. You're the reason why stuff is difficult right now. And right, that's not practicing ownership. That's literally just trying to win the argument. And of course, the point is, if one of you wins, both of you lose. That's the reality. And so we, we gotta avoid I'm sorry, but. And, and third, don't stack up more reasons to say I'm sorry because that's really easy. That's the lizard brain thing because we go into like this nuclear explosion mode where it's just like, Kill, kill, kill. You know, like I just gotta win. I gotta beat this person down. I'm gonna bring up and dig up past hurts, how they've hurt me in the past, throw patterns in their face, and just, and this, is, this has been really big for me, guys. Let me just be honest with you. I told you last week, I literally am a professional arguer, okay? So my poor wife, imagine being married to that. That's so unfair. And so I have had to learn to get to I'm sorry quickly and don't, not help us stack up more reasons to be sorry by just saying, stupid things. And so that's how we're going to fight fair. We got to forgive fast and learn to fight fair. Point number two, your spouse, uh, how we're going to develop a friendship relationship is this person is your ride or die, baby. I mean, suspend, here's the deal. Suspend the Bonnie and Clyde fun with Dick and Jane type idea. You're not going to go rob a bank together. That's not what I'm saying. But this person is meant to be the one that you can depend on, y'all, that you can lean on. Like the person that you're most loyal to, like somebody comes and tries to talk smack about your spouse, you're just going to boom deck them in the face because you're not going to have, okay, don't do that. But you're, you're like, you're loyal. There's dependability. There's togetherness. This is, this, is, uh, this is Jim and Pam Halpert, guys, like America's favorite couple. And in fact, did you know, they went up to John Krasinski, actually, and they were like, hey, we want you to cheat on Pam in this series. And he actually shut it down, right? Because this is the idea. It's like your, your spouse is your ride and your die. Like you're literally going to be faithful and loyal and dependable to them until the day that Jesus takes you home. And this is really important because part of the problem in many marriages is that you're just not dependent. There's no loyalty. There's no dependability. And so the dude's just at work chilling by the water cooler. And he's just like, yeah, my wife is, she's miserable. I can't stand being married to her. And then the dude's like, yeah, my wife too, man. I don't know what to do here. And it's just, you're, there's not loyalty. There's not togetherness. You're okay with bashing on this person that you covenanted your life to. And that's not okay, right? Or, or you know, like guys, you go home and you're like, hey, baby, what's for, what's for dinner? Just a simple question. And she looks at you and she's like, 
what's for dinner? Make it yourself. You know what I mean? Like this, you, this is a person that you're, you've covenanted to serve and to love and to bless and to think the best of. Listen, let me just help you. Most often, your spouse is not trying to ruin your life, right? You have to, most of the time, right? I'm sure there's like 5% of the time when it's just like lizard brain mode crazy and that's actually trying, that's actually taking place. But most of the time, what happens is just miscommunication. It's just, listen, like, we gotta, so we need to think the best about our spouse. Your spouse is your ride or your die, the person that you can depend on. Jordan Peterson uh, says it like this, make friends with people who want the best for you. So the question is, can your spouse say that about you? Can they say about you, this person wants the absolute best for me? And, and can you say that about them? That's, I dare you to ask each other that question, by the way. I dare you. Like, hey, hey, can you say this about me? And if not, how can I actually do that better? How can I be more about your flourishing? How can I, how can I serve you in the vision of God for your life? I wanna make, uh, I, want, I want to be your friend and I want the absolute best for you and I'm gonna serve that vision. Point number three. We're going after intimacy, spiritual and emotional. The physical part, that's gonna come up in a minute. That gets a whole line item. Gentlemen, I know you're glad you came to church. We'll get there, okay? But first, we're gonna do spiritual and emotional. Genesis chapter two, verses 24 says this. It's a creation account. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and there shall become one flesh. That word right there in the Hebrew, one flesh, is fascinating. It's so packed full of meaning. It's ekad in the Hebrew. And what's great, what's incredible about this is, is the Shema, which is basically the most important verse in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, to the Jewish person. There's a verse, a passage in this passage of scripture that says, The Lord our God is one. It's the same exact word, ekad in the Hebrew, meaning husband and wife are no longer two, but they're one. They're called to exemplify, put on display, and portray the oneness of the triune God, Jehovah. That is the purpose of marriage, is to actually portray his oneness, which means that you're going to be one spiritually. You're going to be one emotionally. You're going to be one physically. You're going to be one monetarily. Hey, oh, there's some conviction, right? Like the two, two bank accounts thing, dude, I don't get that. Like, how can you have two different bank accounts if you're the same person? And oftentimes money, we don't have time to talk about this, but that could be a great dysfunction in marriage also, right? But the reality is, is we're one, right? There's no separation. There's oneness. And here's the idea. Idea, right? Marriage is built on, if it's going to be healthy, has to be built on two individual people having an individual relationship with Jesus first. And oftentimes what happens in marriage is one person kind of lags behind. And so ladies, what do you do? You get the books, you put it on the nightstand next to your husband, just as a loving gesture. And guys, what happens to the books? They collect dust. They never get open and nothing ever actually happens. And so there has to be this, okay, I need to care enough about my marriage to actually press in, have a meaningful friendship relationship with the God of the universe, and then and only then can I learn to be a good friend with you. But there's got to be that spiritual connection together. Listen, uh, my job with, for, for my incredible wife, who I love so much, is not to just make sure she has a great 80 years. My job is primarily to make sure that she has a great 80 million years. And then at 80 million after that, right? Like if literally the purpose of marriage is just, hey, try to stick it out and try to get to, you know, 50 plus faithfully and you're still living together and you, not get, you didn't get divorced, right? That's to miss the whole 
point. Like literally, you are loving and serving somebody unto eternity, right? Like if, if you just make sure that they have a nice, comfortable life, bills are paid, whatever, you take a vacation once a year, you do some fun stuff, but the next 80 million don't go so well. Literally, that's your job. In fact, I was talking with somebody here uh, this last week uh, and uh, she was saying how one thing that's been really helpful to her uh, is this idea that her job with her husband, and this is true both ways, is to love and serve and bless her spouse in such a way that he could hear from Jesus on that day when he stands before him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the idea. You wanna help this person uh, you know, like hear that from Jesus on that day when they stand before him. And so spiritually, there's gotta be intimacy. The best thing that you can actually do uh, for the sake of your marriage, statistically, this is crazy. You know what it is? Pray with and pray for your spouse. Statistically speaking, the Institute of Family Studies says this. This is what happens when you pray with your spouse regularly. It increases forgiveness, emotional and sexual fidelity, relational happiness, trust, and unity. It even improves conflict resolution, helping the couple realize that as they have individually been unconditionally forgiven by God, so they are to forgive others. Dr. David Stoop kind of builds on this idea, and he says this, get this, if you've been sleeping, pay attention. If you take one tool away from this whole series, please, for the love of God, take this one. Dr. David Stoop, couples who pray regularly together, there is a 99.9% chance of divorce-proofing your marriage. If you do that, if you literally will just as a married Christian couple pray together, consistent, it doesn't have to be an hour a day, right? It could just be you grab hands at the dinner table, you pray for each other, you pray with each other, you get to a prayer time here at New Song, whatever, it doesn't have to be a big crazy thing, but couples who will regularly pray together, it's literally, statistically speaking, a way to divorce-proof your marriage to the 0.01%, but he also follows up by saying this, only 4% of Christian marriages do that. Only 4%, guys, can we just say, you know what, let's, let's have our entire church in that 4% category. Now, let me give you some tools here because this is really difficult to start. I've told you this before, I'm gonna tell you it again. Praying with your spouse, when you first begin to pray with your spouse, it's awkward, it's weird, it's uncomfortable, it's like kissing your sister, right? That's just the reality. It's, it's, not, it's not a fun, enjoyable thing, especially for us dudes who have a problem with prayer anyways, and then praying with our wife is like, wow, this is the worst case scenario, but, right, you gotta learn to press through that. You have to pick the tool up and actually put it to work or else you're, like, I mean, think about that, right? Does anybody wanna get divorced? No, you don't, divorce is hell. You might think that you do, but you absolutely don't. One tool to almost divorce-proof your marriage, you pray with and you pray for consistently. Right there, right? That's it. That's crazy. And so we know it's difficult. We know it's weird. And so what we did, Marissa and I, is we actually partnered with a, a couple here from our church who we love very much on Friday nights. What we do is we hold space from 7 to 8 p.m. to just come together with our spouse, love on Jesus, worship, and pray together. And we wanna invite you into that. Listen, it is really difficult to come and worship and pray, hold hands with your spouse, and leave with bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, and pain and hurt. Like it just, it's, it's really actually difficult to do. And so the challenge is, let me just challenge you. We're gonna talk about date night in a second. Go on a date before, right? Go somewhere, go to banter downtown because the chicken is absolutely delicious and just melts in your mouth, it's amazing. 
Oh, it's so good. Uh, but go there first and then come here and then we're gonna worship and pray together. And literally, this is a way to almost 90, divorce-proof your marriage to uh, the 0.01 percentile. And, and the reality is, if there's spiritual intimacy, then there's also gonna be emotional intimacy. And for us as men, right, generally speaking, sometimes women find themselves in this category, but generally speaking, what happens is a lot of our dudes here at New Song, you are like an ice block regarding emotion, right? You're just stonewall cold Jackson. It's just like you don't do the emotional thing. You don't know how to engage with the issues of the heart. And the reality, man, is that this, God has actually put your wife in your life to pull that out. God is not a stoic. He actually created emotions. You can study the emotions of God all throughout the scripture. It's on every single page. And what happened when you got married is you surrendered access to the heart, to your spouse, till death do you part. And what happens is when you get in conflict or whatever, or life happens, and you begin to build walls, and we separate, and we don't allow this person emotional access to the heart, that's a way to slide towards division shifts passing in the night, and, and you lose your friendship. Because, of course, if you're friends with somebody, they have access to the issues of your heart. And so this is why Marissa and I, what we'll do is we try to hold space every day to just ask each other a couple really simple questions. Hey, how are you? Like, what, what, do you, what have you been processing today? How's your soul? How's your heart? What are the things that happen? What are the big moments? What are the bummer moments? Is there anything I can do to pray for you, right? We try to hold space for each other to actually engage the realm of the heart because this is, of course, what friends do. So we wanna go after oneness, intimacy, spiritual intimacy with Jesus, with each other, friendship with Jesus, friendship with each other, and that emotional connection. In addition, Next point, every day something kind. Ephesians chapter five, verse 33 says this, Paul speaking to married couples. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think if you really kind of nuance down the language right there, you know what Paul's really getting at? He said, be kind to each other. Like be kind. Can you just be kind? Can you be kind in your words and your actions? Can you actually model kindness for one another? You know, they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I really think one act of kindness a day keeps the divorce attorneys away. It's the reality. Everybody's looking for kindness. We all want kindness, but the reality is, is it looks different for everybody. To some, kindness looks like, hey, we're gonna shut the TV down, we're gonna put the phones away, and we're actually gonna sit together and have some face-to-face -to -face time and actually enjoy a dinner together at the dinner table, right? To some, kindness looks like, Hey, you go sit down on the couch. I'm gonna do the dishes. Just love and serve you and bless you because thanks for making dinner and you're awesome. To some, kindness looks like physical touch. To some, kindness looks like, hey, here's a note. Buy the coffee machine in the morning as you get up and you head to work. To some, kindness looks like a fine pressed shirt without wrinkles, which I am so ADD about, right? Like it's just, that's my thing, right? That's how weird I am. Whenever my wife does that, it's just like literally I will do anything. I'm the happiest man on the planet, right? And so what does it look like for you, right? What does it actually look like? You have to get specific, that's the point. It's not a dumb thing. It's like you have to actually get specific with it because then you can love and serve the person well and actually model kindness to them. This was massive, guys, for my marriage when Marissa and I first got married uh, because what happened is you know, we were both working at the time and uh, now she is this boss chick, stay at home, raising our, our kid's mom who's just amazing and I'm so grateful that we have the ability to do that. And um, uh, you know, when we first got married, we were both working and she would come home. I 
I'd beat her home and I would be like, okay, I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna do something for Marissa. And so I'd clean the house, deep clean the kitchen, put the dishes in the dishwasher, straighten everything up, and then just sit on the couch like with, you know, like a candle burning or whatever, nice fragrance aroma when you walk in, everything's put away. And then she'd walk in and she'd be like, hey babe, and come and sit on the couch. And it's just like nothing, not Dutch, didn't say anything about the house. And so like, I'd just be sitting there and I'd look at her and I'm like, are you kidding? You know, like, excuse me? Like, did you not notice? Did you not notice? And she's just like, notice what? And I'm like, that's the point. Like, look, look at everything I did. I put the dishes away. I did all this stuff. You got the candle. You got the fragrance. You've got the, you know, scentsy stuff going on and you don't even seem to care. And she's like, oh, I guess, you know, I kind of, I kind of don't. Maybe I want to receive love in different ways. And I was just like, get out, you know, like, <laughs> But what I, I didn't say that, but the reality is, is what she was saying and what I realized is, dude, I'm just really selfish because I was giving kindness how I wanted to actually receive it. And that's what tends to happen. In fact, Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman has an incredible book called The Five Love Languages. If you guys would just take that, put in your hands and do that daily, it would transform the culture of your home overnight. And I realized in that moment, wow, I'm actually being a really selfish lover and friend. I'm trying to give how I wanna receive. And so I had to ask her like, okay, what does it look like? for you. And she's like, I want to go to Pure Bliss and have some dessert and look at you in the face and talk about deep stuff. And so I was like, okay, whoa, not how I want to do it, but that's all right. And so we've had to try to learn to actually hold space for each other, which we will, we're going to hit that idea uh, again in a few minutes. So every day, something kind. One of the best ways to cultivate friendship in a marriage, you want to know what it is? It's to be friendly, you want warmth? Be warm. Stop being so cold. Put the, naggy, the, the negative nagging Nancy away in the drawer, right? Put the, put the, the nagging Nick away for a second and, and like take the pessimism, put it on a shelf, put the doom and gloom on the shelf and actually begin to be a warm presence in the home and the marriage. Begin to be a voice of encouragement. Begin to be a voice of life. And in fact, Proverbs 18 says this, there is life and there is death in the power of your words, right? You literally have the ability to prophesy death or life over your marriage, over your family, over your relationships, over the culture and the atmosphere in which you live. You have the ability to actually bring death in or bring life in through what you say. So every day we wanna do something kind. And, and so what is it? You gotta ask your spouse the question, hey, what does kindness look like for you? Like, what does it actually look like? Does it look like the note in the lunch pail? Does it look like a date night once a week? Does it look like, uh, you know, you hopping into bed and, oops, surprise, I don't have my clothes on. You know, like, what does it look like? Gentlemen, I don't recommend that for you. That's more of, uh, that would not go very well. Um, but, right, like what does it actually look like for you and then actually do it? Speaking of which, uh, next point to this is naked often. Genesis chapter two, verse 25. You want friendship in your marriage? Boom, there you go. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I actually had a conversation with a guy this last week uh, after the whole you know, illustration I gave, the story I gave last Sunday about you got the, the wedding ceremony and then there's the reception and the couples, they dance together and you get all the way up to the couple that's been married for 30 years. They're old and they're wrinkly. They look like each other now and they're dancing. And so he was like, I was at one of those and the MC like went up and asked the couple, hey, what's the secret? Like, how did you actually do this well? How did you make it here? You look happy. You made it to 30 years, right? What's, what's the secret? And the guy, this is such a dude thing to say. He was like, all right, here's the circus. Here's, here's, the, here's the circus, not here's the circus. Here's, here's what it is. You gotta get naked often. 
right? And of course, that's what the dude says, but that's the reality. Sex, guys, what it is, is a critical and important part to friendship in the context of marriage. This is God's good design. This is his good idea, right? And we tend to be a bunch of prudes in the church and not able to talk about this. So I'm gonna talk about it for a second because a lot of you, you're not having sex, you're not connecting emotionally, and you're incredibly unhealthy because of it. You're not living into that oneness, that ikhad connection, that oneness that the scriptures talk about. And this is really important. Listen, if you're only having sex once a month, once every year on the month, once every six weeks, you're not healthy. If you're not having a good emotional heart level conversation connection frequently, multiple times a week, multiple times a month, right? You're not actually healthy. And so, I mean, think about this from the perspectives of the scriptures, right? You've got the Genesis account. God creates Adam and Eve. He, he makes this garden. So he puts, them, he puts them in a nice setting where there's animals, there's trees, there's plants, the sun is setting, and they're naked. Like he literally sets them up for this thing. I mean, imagine, like, it's like, it's like you, you know what it's like. You're in, you're, you're in the living room, you got the fire going, it's crackling, you got the wine, non-alcoholic wine, and you've got, you know, like you just, you walk in and you find each other and you're both naked. It's like, what are we gonna do? You know, are we gonna, are we gonna play chess? No, you're not gonna, literally God sets them up for sex. It's the first command in the Bible, you know what it is? Have lots of sex. Literally be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy each other, man. Some of you, this is the problem. You don't actually enjoy each other. You need to enjoy each other. This is God's heart and his design for you. And sex is a big part of that. Now, culturally, we are absolutely messed up on this. We tend to think that if you're gonna have, you know, the best sex is found in the 20-something-year-old that's just sleeping around with multiple people on the beach in California and whatever. And so we watch, you know, MTV music videos, whatever the... uh, uh, you know, flavor of the month, weird Viking Netflix show it is. Like everybody's young and sleeping together with multiple partners and it's like, yeah, that's legit, that's awesome. And uh, that's what it means to be truly alive and truly human in regard to sexual freedom and expression. Uh, and, you know, so we tend to view marriage as like, yeah, when you get married, you're settling down and everything's gonna just shrivel up and die and you're never gonna touch each other. Statistically, that's actually not the case. The University of New York and the University of Chicago Uh, put a bunch of money and energy behind this study and they came up with this as their finding. Of all sexually active people, the most physically pleased and emotionally satisfied were married couples. Boom, put that in your pipe when you're spoken. What's the point? If you want, if you want a fulfilling sex life, get married. Why? Because it, it takes time to actually develop that language between each other. And so this is where you're actually gonna find the best sex is with the couple that's actually been married for 20, 30 plus years. Dr. Emerson Egerich, she says this, a husband is called to minister to his wife's spirit, being present emotionally, serving her, which is one of her deepest desires. Even though he may not feel like it at a given moment, Likewise, the wife is called to minister to her husband's body with frequency and in the same spirit. Couple things on this. This is a really big idea. Couple for the men. Here, let me just say this. Men, what you need to realize, what we need to realize is sex is not a thermostat, it's a thermometer. It doesn't set the temperature of the marriage and the relationship. It actually tells you the temperature of the marriage and the relationship. That's a big idea. And often what happens for men is we tend to just think like sex is the answer for everything. It's a, big, it's a big thing. It's really important. But often what unhealthy men will do is they will demand sex from their spouse. And often unhealthy wives, what they will do is they will withhold sex as a form of punishment and manipulation and control. And then unhealthy husbands will demand it more. And there's just division and disunity. You want to know how to break it? You pursue the heart of your wife. 
You put your needs on the shelf. Turns out you went a bunch of years without having sex. You don't need it to survive. Newsflash, you're gonna be okay, all right? And so you gotta, we have to learn to actually say, you know what? Like, this isn't a thermostat. This is a thermometer. This is telling me that my, because we're not sleeping together right now, this is telling me that my wife feels like emotionally disengaged, that we're not connecting emotionally. Generally speaking, women are gonna connect emotionally. Men are gonna connect sexually in the marriage. Of course, you need both, right? And, and there's a spectrum of that and how those ratios pan out is dependent on the relationship. But the reality is, is if you're not getting it, then instead of demanding it, why don't you take the servant lover approach that Jesus does and lay your life down, right? And, and, and pursue the heart of your spouse, right? Because this is, this is God's heart. So the question always comes up, okay, well, how much sex should we be having? Uh, you know, my general rule of thumb is twice a day, keeps the devil away. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Total joke. Total joke. Don't do that. That would stop working really quick. But, right, Martin Luther, he, he says this. He says this, twice a week seems to keep the tempter away. I think that's a good place to start. So here's the idea. Let me just give you a tool here to hang your hat on. If we could do this again, another thing that would transform the marriages and relationships in our church. Wives, like, like have, have sex twice a week and dudes initiate an emotional connection four times a week, right? So there's gotta be initiation and a give and a take on both sides. And if you gotta plan it, plan it. Literally, some of you need to put it on the calendar. And I know that's not romantic at all, but at least you're actually beginning to love and serve and care for each other. So what would it look like? Husbands, you initiate four emotional connections with the heart of your wife. Wives initiate two sexual connections with your husband. It would literally transform the friendship and the relationship and the intimacy of your marriage. Furthermore, next point, date your spouse. Song of Solomon chapter three, verse two says this, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. That this is, this is what marriage is. It's a constant pursuit of the heart of this person that you are married to. You guys know what happened, right? When you were dating, it was like you'd get ready in separate houses. Guys, you'd clean the car out. You'd vacuum it out. You'd take the dirty socks and underwear out and put it away. And you would have, you'd present the best version of yourself. You go on a date and it would be great. And now what happens if you're married and you've been married for any length of time, right? You get too comfortable with each other. And so before date night, if you ever get it, one of you is like on the porcelain throne talking to the other in the bathroom like, hey, can you give me the toothbrush? You know, like you, literally, you have to recover the, ministry, the mystery. What the, what the bride is saying right here is I am in pursuit of this man, right? It needs to be true both ways. We have to recover mystery. Don't get complacent. Don't get comfortable. We gotta live in that constant pursuit. And this can look like really simply, you just have a goal of 52 dates a year, one date night per week. Listen, don't make all the excuses of we're busy and we have kids and we have life and whatever. This relationship is critical, right? This, this, this needs to be like the top priority relationship in your life, right? Like literally, you, have, you make time for what's important to you and what you value, and so we have to hold space to actually have that face-to-face -face connection where you're gonna step away from the kids puking on you, punching you, and breaking stuff, and just get that good, that good intimate connection together on a weekly basis. Uh, Dr. Emerson Egerich, again, uh, he's got this really cool idea about these three different types of marriages. And uh, he talks about, this is true of all relationships, but we're gonna talk about marriages for a second. Um, he, he says, you know, there's back-to-back there's -back marriages, and some of you are in this category, where you're, you're not looking at each other face-to-face, -face, you're passing ships in the night, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness, there's resentment, there's dysfunction, there's disunity, you are not friends, you are enemies, 
You can't stand each other, and you're hanging on by a single thread, barely. Intimacy's broken down, friendship's broken down, you're just, you're evil towards each other with your words. You are not loving and serving well, you are trying to love and serve yourself well. And, and that's, that's back-to-back relationships. Many of you, either. the good news is there's hope, and you're here, and that means that you wanna work on it, and I'm so proud of you, and Jesus is like, dude, that's awesome, you showed up, that's half the battle. The second type of marriages and relationships are shoulder-to-shoulder, meaning we're coworkers, right? And some of you are in this category where your spouse is your business partner. Listen, they're not your business partner. They're your best friend. And, and here's the thing, you know, like, like this is life gets busy. You got kids doing all this sort of stuff. We got different things that we're doing during the week. I got work. She's got work. We got these different realities. We got this evening commitment. We got this evening commitment. And, and it's just easy to get too busy. And so we just become shoulder to shoulder only. Now, let me just submit this to you. Much of marriage and family is, is shoulder to shoulder work, right? It's like, hey, you know, like I, I'm taking out the trash. You got to do the diaper right now. Or, you know, I'm going to go to the store. You start working on dinner. A lot of it is shoulder to shoulder work where there is, you know, like we're gonna actually work together in this thing, shoulder. But if that's all you get, there's no friendship, there's no intimacy, you're business partners. And of course, that leads us to the third category of marriage and relationship, which is where we wanna be, and that's this idea of face-to-face. The language of intimacy, the language of into me, you see. The language of we're holding hands. I see your heart, you see my heart. We're connected and we are one. And so that's what we wanna strive for. John Piper, he says this, don't marry so you can stop pursuing women. Marry so you can perfect the pursuit of one woman for a lifetime. That's what it's about. It's about a pursuit. It's about, it's about face-to-face. It's about living in that connection. Last, Suffer, sacrifice, and be sanctified. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Meaning what? Listen, marriage is not about not suffering. Marriage is not about not sacrificing. Marriage is about suffering and sacrificing for the flourishing of the other person. Right? And, and literally doing that well, Paul's like, listen, like you're storing up for yourself an eternal weight of glory because this is what Jesus does. This is what he does. The point is this. You got two pains in life. You get to pick them. You have to pick one, either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Many of you, you, are, you have set yourself up well and you are moving towards a very bad last day of your marriage. You have been choosing the pain of regret. The pain of, the pain of discipline says, you know what? I'm gonna show up today. I'm gonna love and I'm gonna serve today. I'm gonna give today. I'm not going to give my spouse uh, what they deserve because listen, man, if you want what you deserve, you get hell, right? Like, let's just call it like it is. If you want what you deserve, if I want what I deserve, we get eternity separated from Jesus in hell, right? That's the reality. And so, uh, so we have to choose the pain of discipline that day in and day out, I'm gonna love and I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna forgive fast. I'm gonna fight fair. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually be loyal to this person, dependable, somebody that they can lean on. I'm gonna go after intimacy, emotional, spiritual, physical intimacy with this person. I'm going to model kindness to them, right? I'm going pers- to set up date night. I'm going to love and care for them well. That is how you are going to move towards a great last day. And so you've got a choice to make. Am I going to choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us in just a moment here as our time is running out. Let me just say this. Today, I did this last week. I'm going to do it today. Today is... It's, it's about your friendship with your spouse, but even more importantly, you wanna know what today really is all about? It's about your friendship with Jesus. 
The most important relationship in your marriage is not your friendship with your spouse, it's your friendship with Jesus. Because what happens when you live into friendship with Jesus, he comes and he loves, he comes, he serves, he comes and he blesses, he comes and he pursues your heart, he comes and he lays his life down for you, he comes and he forgives fast. And what happens is when you can live connected to relationship with that Jesus who is the true and the better friend, you can then begin to model that to this person that you're married with. And single people, that's a really big thing to build your life on. You got how to prepare well for marriage? Develop a friendship with Jesus, right? Develop, become best friends with Jesus. Now, let me just say this, because some of you need to hear this. Listen, Jesus, you might be in a back-to-back relationship right now in your marriage, did you know that Jesus is never gonna turn his back on you? Face to face is the language of the Bible. God to Moses, he used to speak with Moses face to face as with a friend. God doesn't do back to back. Some of you, you're wondering, man, is God gonna walk out on me like my spouse? As you tend to view God actually even subconsciously through your spouse and how they treat you. Listen, let me tell you this. You might be getting back to back. You might be getting shoulder to shoulder. There isn't a lot of face to face in your marriage. How you, how you begin to transition out of that is you recognize the pursuit of Jesus for your life right now that he's never gonna turn his back on you. Why? Because the father turned his back on Jesus. Jesus saw the backside of God so you can always see him face to face. So you never have to wonder, what am I gonna get when I turn his direction? What are you gonna see? His face shining like the sun in all of its strength. He's not a gray and gloomy God. He's not looking to wipe your face with your sin and make you feel bad and leave you stuck in your rebellion, your dysfunction and your brokenness. He wants to love and serve and bless you. So let me pray for us to that end. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true and better friend. You are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And God, I pray for us, your people, Holy Spirit of God, that as we leave this place, that you would help us to cultivate friendship with Jesus and in turn, be a great friend to our spouse. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Okay, if I could have you guys hang tight for just one second. Can we get those questions up on the screen, fellas? Uh, what I want you to do, guys, is, is this is a, a, just a format for date night this week to help actually really get down to brass tacks on how you apply all of this in your marriage. So I wanna hand you that tool, encourage you to hewn out some space in your schedule this week to actually have these kind of conversations, put it to work. This is gonna set you up for success. And if we can pray for you, we would love to do that. We're gonna have a prayer team off to my left, your right, and uh, we would love to bless you. Otherwise, remember to be kind to those that God has placed around you. We'll see you next Sunday, everybody. Thanks for coming.